Last week we covered verses 44 through 50. We've been walking through the Gospel of John. Again, if you're a guest, we try to walk through books of the Bible so that when we come to something, it's, it's guided by the Holy Spirit. He decides what we hear on a given Sunday. So last Sunday we covered 44 through 50, and we heard about basically how this passage last week was a transition passage. It was a summary of everything that we've been hearing from chapters 1 through 12. And it's this transition point that's going to change. So the, the first half, or roughly half, of the Gospel of John is setting up Jesus where he's having his public ministry, he's gathering his disciples, and he's heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards the cross. And then here we have this transition, and now starting today, we're going to see this second half, if you will, of the Gospel of John, where Jesus now focuses on his disciples in more detail, in his last week, in his death and resurrection, and it's a transition passage. In it, we saw things last week that talked about uh, Jesus showing his unity with the Father. He expressed that again, something we've seen throughout the Gospel of John. He expressed that he is light and that he came so that those who are in darkness would not remain in darkness, but would be in the light. He talked about us not only hearing his word, but keeping, obeying his word. And he talked about that the commandment that the Father has given him is eternal life. And that same commandment is for us to believe and for us to share with as many as we can. And that takes us into chapter 13. So I'll read out loud. You can follow along quietly. I'll read through the text for today, and then we'll work through it verse by verse. Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Jesus begins, or John sets the scene for us in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, we've talked about this in previous weeks, the Passover again, this yearly feast that they were to go and they would sacrifice the Passover lamb, something that the people, the Jewish people would do. And it was a foreshadowing of the true Passover lamb, the one who would come to take away the sins of the world. But they would do this sacrifice once a year and Jesus was going to fulfill it. And the fact that he goes during this time and this is his last hour, the Passover shows, is pointing to the fact that he's the Passover lamb. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, and we talked about hour before, his hour doesn't mean literally just 60 minutes. His hour means from the point that the message went out to the Greeks, like we saw in chapter 12. The message goes out to the Greeks, the nations. It includes that, it includes his suffering, it includes his death on the cross in our place, for our sins, for everyone's sins. It includes the resurrection three days later. It includes the 40 days after that. And then it includes him going to the right hand of the Father. All of that is his last hour. And he says, John says here, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. But look at this last part I want you to see. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The first thing I need you to hear this morning is that if you belong to Jesus, you're His own. He loves you. A good translation of that is to the utmost. It means He certainly loves you till He loves His disciples until He dies. It means that. But it also means that He will love you until you die. And then forevermore. But it also means He loves you to the utmost with the greatest love you could ever have. Jesus loves you deeper, wider, longer than anyone in this world does. He loves you to the utmost. I need you to hear that the first thing today. So John lets us know he loves us, he loves them. The Passover, verse 2. During supper, so they're having supper. Now look at this. When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray, to betray, betray him. One of the twelve. Think about this for a second, and I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but it should blow your mind. He could be with Jesus for almost three years, day in, day out, seeing Jesus, eating with Jesus, listening to Jesus' prayers, seeing miracles, things that we don't even see in the Scriptures because there's too much, John says, to even write. He was with Him every single day. And Satan still got to Him. That should be sobering. How in the world can that happen? How can you be with Jesus on that type of level and Satan still get to you? What we know is that Judas truly didn't believe. He truly didn't believe. You can read your Bible every day. You could memorize the whole Bible. You could pray nonstop when you're not reading the Bible. You could help people. You could come here. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You could be a preacher and not really love Jesus. Not really be a follower. That's a caution for us. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things. Listen to this. The Father had given all things. Not some things. All things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Why is this in here? It's setting up what's about to happen. He's saying, 
Jesus is far above everybody else. He has give, the Father's given all things to him. He came from God. He's going to God. He, John is showing us how great Jesus is. How wonderful Jesus is. Knowing that all this had happened, here's what Jesus does. He raises up and he says, everyone bow down and worship me right now. Is that what the text says? It's not what he does. But he's the one that all things have been given to. All glory, all honor, everything. That's what his right is. He has the right to stand up and say, worship me now. Serve me now. And look what your Jesus does. Look what he does. Verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to see this picture. I know you've heard this story, many of you. The one that all things have been given to, the one who is from God, the one who is going to God, the one who creates all things, the word who became flesh, the light of men, the one who holds everything together, takes the posture of a servant. He takes off his garment and he lowers himself to a job that only servants would do. To wrap a towel around his waist, he has this posture of serving. The one who's greater than all serves. So he begins to wash their feet and he's washing his disciples' feet. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. I love Peter. I don't know about you guys. I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? At least Peter gets that, right? He's kind of like, this, this doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be doing this, Lord. But if the Lord's doing something, he has a reason for it. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord allows something, he has a reason for it. He never does anything by accident. There's no chance. He's always working things for your good, his glory. That's exactly what Ashton was saying. He's asking, they're asking for prayer that Julie has fallen her foot again and they're trying to fight to believe you are not wasting anything. Help me understand it. Help them understand it. Brothers and sisters, some of you are going through stuff. You need to understand he doesn't waste anything. He has purpose and meaning in what he's doing. Peter doesn't know it yet. Peter's quick to speak. Some of us are quick to speak. So Jesus answers him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. That should be so encouraging. Now he's meaning specifically after the resurrection, Peter's going to get it. But brothers and sisters, again, hear this. God is doing things you may not understand. Afterward you will understand. understand. When? I don't know if it will be this life. It might be in the one to come, but you will understand. Until then, you trust in the waiting. You allow him to work. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. <laughs> uh-uh, we're not doing that, Jesus. I got a better plan. So Jesus responds, a little strong, like he has to do with Peter. Some of us, right? Some of you in here, you got to hear things pretty blunt, straightforward. Yeah, you're like Peter. Be encouraged. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
You think Peter gets it? <laughs> Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. If that's what you're talking about, if it's like, hey, sharing with Jesus, being with Jesus, being His, He's got to wash you. Peter's saying, the whole thing. Just wash me. Make no mistake. What this is pointing to, there's a couple things this passage is pointing to. The first one of these things is that you have to be cleansed by Christ. You have to be washed by Christ. You have to be washed by the blood of Christ. You need to be cleansed because every person that has ever lived, except for Jesus, Adam and Eve when they first were created, but then they fell, everybody, sinful nature, sinful choices, and we have a heart that is evil, and we need a heart of flesh. It's called the washing, regeneration. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. You have to be cleansed by the blood. I don't know why Christians make such a big deal about the blood. Because without it, there's no forgiveness of sins. You have to have the blood. You have to be washed. So what he's saying to you, now listen, if you're here and you truly haven't followed Christ yet, you have no part with Him. And what we've seen from chapters 1-12, through 12, and we even see at the end, we won't get to it today, if you have no part with Jesus, you have no part with God the Father. Because they are so closely connected. And this has been the plan forever. You have to be washed by Jesus. So Peter's saying, all right, I'll take it all. Wash me. Jesus goes on to explain. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Some manuscripts leave that except his feet out, but overall that's the best uh, translation there. Except his feet, but is completely clean. Peter, you don't need to be washed again completely. You've taken a bath. He goes on, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Who's he talking about? Judas. Judas. I I need you to hear this. Judas was with him almost three years. Did Jesus wash Judas' feet? Yeah. He washed all their feet. He knew, listen to this, he knew Judas was going to betray him, right? It's not like he's like, oh, what? What? Something's going to happen? No, he's already been talking about it. He knows Judas isn't a believer. He knows he's not following. He knows he's going to betray him. He actually knows that it's prophesied in the Psalms that he's going to do it. And he still washes his feet too. What's interesting, again, is we need this cleansing. Jesus ultimately says, first point here, as far as it comes to the cleansing, we have to be cleansed by His blood, right? And then He says, but if you're clean, you don't have to go and get cleaned again, Peter. It's okay. You have been cleansed. Not all of you have been cleansed in here. There's some of you who have not. There's one in particular He's saying, you have not been cleansed yet. So now why then would Peter need his feet washed? It's not good to get the whole, you know, you don't need the whole thing, but I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. Here's what he's showing him. You ever take a shower? Huh, everyone, showers? <laughs> Praise God. If, if not, you're not welcome back. Just kidding. Anyone is welcome, even if you stink. We'll just encourage you to bathe. But he's clean. He's cleansed. He's been cleansed by Christ. You take showers. You bathe. That's great. In that time, they would have been wearing sandals all the time. They didn't have nice roads like we have. They didn't have socks and things like that. They would have been on a journey all the time. You know what would get dirty? Even if you just took a shower and you went outside, you walked by, your feet would get dirty. Brothers and sisters, I think what 
the second thing that's going on in this passage is even though we see, like Peter, we have been cleansed, there's still the life of sanctification, meaning we still battle sin, we battle dirt, we battle life, and we still get dirty. Now, if you've taken a shower and you walk around your feet get dirty, you are still clean. So this isn't saying like you're going to lose your salvation. No, you have been cleansed. That's what he's saying. You're completely clean. Don't worry about it. However, part of the Christian walk is we're still in this world. We still have sin in our flesh. The devil is after us constantly, and we still stumble with our feet sometimes. They get dirty. We confess sin, and they're wiped clean again. Jesus sanctifies us. He wipes our feet clean too. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Good. Now we're going to see the third thing Jesus is telling us through this washing. We're completely cleansed. We need to be sanctified. We need to continue to grow. Third thing, starting in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Gets done, sits down. You guys understanding? He doesn't wait for them to respond. That we know of. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. You're right. I am the rabbi. They've called him rabbi throughout. I'm your rabbi. I'm your teacher and Lord. In case you're confused on what that means, ruler, boss, the one in control. And you are right, for so I am. We've heard that I am phrase before multiple times in John 2, where he could be alluding again to the fact that he is the I am from the Old Testament. If I then... Your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Don't forget what he said just a little while ago. John set it up. The one that all things have been given into his hands. He came from God. He's going to God. He's the one who cleanses you. He has washed your feet. He has loved you. He has sacrificially served you. He has humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2. Listen to this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. If you don't know what that means, he's saying, I really, really, really want you guys to get along. It's really important that you love one another. It's really important that you are unified. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though, here it gets to talk about Jesus, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient by washing feet, by serving, by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That guy washed your feet. That guy loves you enough to serve you and wash your feet. To take your sin to serve you. And here's what he says. If that guy is willing to serve you, can you not serve one another? 
Can you not humbly serve other people? He's saying, I'm giving you this example. I'm showing you. I am, notice he switches it, Lord and teacher. It's true he's teacher and Lord, but he's putting that emphasis there. I'm Lord and teacher. Have washed your feet also. You ought to wash one another's feet. For I have, verse 15, I have given you an example that you should also that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. How many of you are better than Jesus? Show of hands. Okay. So we all fit in this category together. We're all under him. And it wasn't beneath him to wash other people's feet. It wasn't beneath him to love and serve other people. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's as far as we're going to go with the text itself. But I do want to say this. How do we do this? How do we have a mindset like Jesus? Part of what you have to do is we have to look to Christ all the time. We have to look to Christ and how great he is. And we have to look to the gospel, the fact that we were wretched sinners, enemies of God, and that he loved us anyway. Some of us in here are doing a fantastic job of serving people we like a lot. You guys are really good at, I get along with you, so I'm going to do something great for you. Part of where we're battling, and I think we're doing well with, is serving people that we just kind of get along with. But here's what's interesting is he washes Judas' feet. How do you love the people that want to kill you? That want to sell you out? That you feel they're against you? We're called to love them too. The only way you can do that is you have to look to Christ. You have to look at how gracious he is, how wonderful he is, And you have to stop thinking about yourself. Part of humility certainly is realizing where we are. But here's something that's interesting, and I think we get this wrong often. We think about humility and we just focus on ourself and we try to think less of ourself. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, said like this. We think humility is to think less of yourself. True humility is to think of yourself less. It's not go and just try to think of, oh, well, I'm just terrible. It's look at how great Jesus is and how he's loved you in spite of yourself and he's died for you and he's risen for you. And don't think about yourself all the time. I'm serious, you guys. This is me half the time. Oh, what's going on in my life? Hmm. Oh, Cindy said that to me. What do I think about that? That hurts my feelings. Hmm. Oh, man, George did that. Oh, I'm really discouraged now. Oh, that group did this. Oh, I'm, I'm sad. Oh, you know what? And it's just focused here, 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 here. Get rid of this thing. Think about yourself less. Think about other people. Think about how great God is and think, how can I serve? Who can I love? If that's your focus, I'm telling you, life changes. And this verse right here, the ending verse that we talked about. Look, look. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. You will find great joy. 
you will be released from trying to figure out why everyone's against you and what's hurting your feelings and this and that. No. Christ is great. He loves you for all of eternity till the end, to the utmost. And think about who you can love and who you can serve. Do these things and be blessed. I'll give you one example and then we're going to close. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Right? All that is saying just praise him. Just tell everybody about him. Just praise him, praise him, praise him. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has uttered. Do that, and you will be full of joy. You will be so thankful and just praising God all the time that you aren't going to have time to be selfish and prideful and focused on yourself. Does that make sense? Jesus loves you to the utmost. Look to Christ. Stop looking at yourself. Do these things and you'll be blessed.